Hey everybody, welcome back to Sports Island, your getaway destination for sports news. I am your host, Rick Mitchell. Well, we had another very solid week in sports this past week. Um, The MLB, the NBA, and the NHL are all officially back underway. And there was plenty of drama in Major League Baseball this past week, along with uh, plenty of other news from the other sports. So let's go ahead and jump right in and uh, take a look at what all went down. But we'll start off like we usually do, of course, that is in the PGA Tour. And this past weekend's tournament was the World Golf Championships FedEx St. Jude Invitational, which was held at TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee. And it was a loaded field in preparation for next week's PGA Championship. And the golf certainly did not disappoint. Uh, There was no cut this weekend, so all the golfers that started got to finish. And as you would expect, the golf was top-notch. Uh, Brendan Todd and Ben uh, Ben Ahn were the final pairing on Sunday. And this was the fourth time this season that Brendan Todd has entered Sunday with either the outright lead or a share of the lead. He's cashed in on two of the three previous chances uh, with two wins so far this year. But this weekend was different. Uh, The star-studded field proved to be way too much for both Todd and Ahn. Brendan Todd went five over on Sunday, and Ben Ahn went three over on Sunday. They both ended up being complete non-factors. But the real story ended up being a couple of the top golfers in the world. And after about the 12th hole, it was pretty apparent that either Justin Thomas or Brooks Kepka would win uh, the tournament. And it was definitely a heavyweight battle, Late in the round, uh, Brooks Kepka just fell apart in the last few holes. Uh, he bogeyed 16 and double bogeyed 18, which sent him down to 10 under par. And meanwhile, while that was going on, Justin Thomas birdied two of his last four holes uh, to end up capturing his third victory on tour this season and solidifying his spot as number one in the world and the FedEx Cup standings. And Justin Thomas won this weekend with a score of 13 under par, which ended up being a three-shot victory thanks to uh, Brooks Kepka's shoddy final few holes. But it was a very solid week for Rick's picks to click this past weekend. I did whiff on one, but it was the first time that I've picked two players that finished inside the top 10. My first pick to click from this past weekend was Daniel Berger. Last week, I mentioned his recent success at this course, winning here in 2016 and 2017. Well, he didn't win this week, but he fired a 5-under 65 on Sunday to finish at 10-under par, which was tied for second. And my second pick to click this past weekend was Xander Shoffley. I mentioned that he loves the WGC events, and this week was no different. Uh, He put together four solid rounds of golf, only carding two bogeys or worse over the entire weekend. His final score was nine under par, which was good for sixth. So I had two picks inside the top six. 
But my final pick to click was Tyrell Hatton. And that's the pick that I whiffed on. Uh, Hatton entered the week having finished no worse than sixth in any of his previous four tournaments. So surely he would go out and play good golf, right? Wrong. Uh, Hatton only had one round under par, which was one under par, and he was just a complete disaster all weekend. Uh, He had at least one double bogey or worse in every round, and he just never got into a rhythm. He finished at seven over par, which was tied for 69th. Yikes. I totally missed that one. Uh, But hey, I got two inside the top six, so I'd say it's a pretty successful week on the pick front. But this weekend, the PGA Tour heads over to TPC Harding Park in San Francisco, California for the PGA Championship. It's the Tour's first major tournament of the year, so of course the field is going to be the best of the best. And it's the first time since 1971 that the PGA Championship will be the first major championship of the season. And TPC Harding Park is going to play at a par 70 this weekend. And obviously San Francisco is on the West Coast, which is a totally different setting than what the golfers have seen so far in recent weeks since the restart. Uh, TPC Harding Park is literally sandwiched around the Pacific Ocean and Lake Merced. So there's going to be a lot of wind, and that's definitely going to play a factor in these scores. So smart strategy golf is going to win this week. And that being said, let's check out Rick's picks to click for this weekend's PGA Championship. I'll start out with Justin Thomas. Uh, Thomas moved up to number one in the world with his win this past week in Memphis, and he's also sitting firmly atop the FedEx Cup standings. Uh, Thomas has won three times now uh, on tour this season. And his tee to green game was on point this past weekend. Now, it's pretty difficult for a golfer to win back-to-back weeks, especially with the high caliber uh, that both of these tournaments are. So I don't know if Thomas is going to win. But Thomas is the exact type of smart, precise golfer that TPC Harding Park is going to demand. So I can easily see Thomas finishing in the top 25. My second pick to click this weekend is going to be Brooks Kepka. Uh, He's number six in the world, and he is the two-time defending champion at the PGA Championship. And he's looking to become the first golfer since 1927 to win three consecutive PGA Championships. And up until this past weekend in Memphis, Kepka has not been playing well since the restart. Um, His second place finish this past weekend was exactly what he needed, uh, indicating that he is peaking at just the right time. Kepka always shows up for the big ones, and this year should not be any different. Uh, This past weekend in Memphis, Kepka led the field in shots gained tee to green, as well as par three scoring. And so I'd look for that to carry over this weekend at Harding Park to give him a realistic chance at a three-peat. But my final pick to click this weekend is going to be Gary Woodland. And Woodland is number 21 in the world, and he knows how to navigate TPC Harding Park, where he was the 2015 match play runner-up. And Woodland is also no stranger to California coastline golf, 
as he won the U.S. Open last year at Pebble Beach, which is right down the highway from TPC Harding Park. And Woodland has also had two top 10s in his six events since the PGA Tour restart. And so I'd look for him to firmly finish uh, inside the top 25. Uh, But we'll move on to Major League Baseball. And man, where do we start with this? Uh, MLB officially got their season underway about a week and a half ago. And here we are just a week and a half in, and we already have some massive drama. It started last week when several Miami Marlins players tested positive for the coronavirus. That then caused an outbreak amongst the organization with approximately 19 members of the team testing positive. While the Marlins canceled all of their games this past week, which affected the schedules of the New York Yankees, the Baltimore Orioles, and the Philadelphia Phillies. The MLB had to move some games around and adjust the schedule to accommodate those cancellations. And while still trying to balance the other teams and keeping those teams playing. And speaking of the Phillies, the Miami Marlins played the Philadelphia Phillies during the opening weekend last week, right before all the Marlins tested positive. And the Phillies games this week got canceled just out of an abundance of caution. Well, good thing that the MLB did that because later in the week, this past week, several members of the Phillies organization tested positive. And then this caused the Phillies weekend series against the Toronto Blue Jays to be, I guess, postponed, not canceled. But man, tough luck for the Blue Jays. Not only can they not play in their home stadium, they couldn't play at all this weekend due to the circumstances out of their control. But some positive news from this is the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies reported zero new positive tests over the weekend. Uh, So it appears that the Phillies have their outbreak under control. And to further complicate the start of the Major League Baseball season, earlier this week, one St. Louis Cardinals player and three St. Louis Cardinals staff members tested positive. And this caused the postponement of several Cardinals games this week against the Milwaukee Brewers. And since then, uh, the Cardinals have had Four more members, one player and three more staff members, produce inconclusive COVID test results. But everyone who's tested positive is asymptomatic, and they've returned to St. Louis. But the Cardinals and the Detroit Tigers were scheduled to play a home-and-home series this week. And the MLB came out and originally said that all four games were going to be in Detroit instead of a home-and-home. But the other day, the MLB decided to just postpone the entire series so that they can continue to investigate the COVID outbreak in the Cardinals organization. And there was a report that surfaced that stated several of the St. Louis Cardinals players had taken an ill-advised trip to a casino just prior to the team's COVID outbreak. And that's not been confirmed as the cause, and the timing of the outbreak would suggest that uh, it actually occurred sooner than the casino trip, but who really knows? I guess that's why the MLBs decided to mandate that each team have a compliance officer follow them around. But on Monday this week, the St. Louis Cardinals announced that they have received 13 new positive tests in the latest round of testing. So I guess it's a good thing that the MLB decided to postpone their series against the Tigers. 
Oh boy, uh, this is this is getting out of control at this point. We knew that there would be positive tests since the MLB decided to do away with any kind of bubble format like we've seen in the NBA and the NHL. We just didn't know how many positive tests we would see. And we certainly didn't think that it would see this many this quickly. And this is not good news at all. And with the bubble formats going better than expected in the NHL and the NBA, it only makes you wonder if the MLB's gamble to forego the bubble is going to cost them their season. And only time's going to tell on that. And oh yeah, how could I forget? In the middle of all this mess, the Houston Astros played the Los Angeles Dodgers in Houston this past week. And everyone knows about the Astros sign-stealing cheating scandal from their World Series winning season a couple seasons ago. And multiple players have been on record saying that they would be throwing intentionally at Astros players as a way to voice their displeasure for the cheating. But during one of the Astros-Dodgers games this past week, Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Joe Kelly decided that this was the appropriate time to do that. Uh, Kelly had already slung a few high pitches to Astros third baseman Alex Bregman, giving Bregman a 3-0 count. And on the fourth pitch of the at-bat, Kelly threw a High pitch behind Bregman's head. And this caused Bregman to have to duck down out of the way. Well, after this, Kelly then threw four more high pitches to Astros first baseman Yuli Gurriel. And then later brushed back Astros shortstop Carlos Correa with a couple of inside curveballs. And after striking out Correa in that at-bat, Joe Kelly began to taunt Carlos Correa on his way back to the dugout. And everybody's seen the picture of the pouty face that Joe Kelly made, of course, while saying some choice words to Correa. And I'm sure Carlos Correa did some chirping of his own. But eventually the benches cleared out onto the field, uh, which broke the Major League Baseball safety protocol. And, And people have come out and said that Joe Kelly's actions were not intentional. And Kelly himself denied that he was trying to hit the Astros players instead blaming his poor throwing on an accuracy issue. And I'm calling BS on that. First, Joe Kelly has a history of being a pot stirrer, uh, like he was a couple years ago with the Boston Red Sox. Secondly, he's a major league pitcher. You do not throw that many high or inside pitches in a row. And you especially don't throw a 3-0 pitch behind someone's head. That just doesn't happen. 98% of the time, a 3-0 pitch is a meatball right down the middle of the plate. And if a pitcher has that big of an accuracy issue in the game, they get yanked. They don't stay in the game and continue to pitch and continue to throw wild pitches. And third, his actions of taunting immediately upon striking out Correa proved that his actions were intentional and that he was throwing at the Astros players on purpose. You're just not going to convince me otherwise that that Kelly's actions were not intentional. But after that incident, Major League Baseball came out and announced that Joe Kelly received an eight-game suspension, which in this shortened season turns out to be 13% of the games. Uh, Dodgers manager Dave Roberts got suspended for one game, and Astros manager Dusty Baker got fined an undisclosed amount for allowing his players to run onto the field, which 
of course, broke the COVID safety protocol. And Joe Kelly is appealing his suspension. Um, I, I think his suspension may get reduced potentially, but I definitely think his actions deserve a suspension. Uh, and Joe Kelly is a relief pitcher, so he's not someone who pitches in every game. Out of those eight games that he's suspended, he probably would have pitched in half. So he's really only missing out on a few actual games, uh, but his paycheck's going to reflect the eight games that he got. But it's uh, it's going to be quite an interesting season if the Houston Astros and Los Angeles Dodgers can somehow meet up in a couple months at the World Series. Now that's if we ever get there. But after all this crazy news, uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred came out and said that the MLB could shut down for the rest of 2020 if the coronavirus isn't managed properly. But then a few days later, Commissioner Manfred also came out and said that it's not time to panic yet and that finishing the season is still doable. Well, which one is it, Commissioner? Because... I think it's time to panic. Your sport is spiraling out of control right now, just one week after it started. Now, I'm not saying we need to shut it down, but the MLB needs to seriously consider pausing for a week or so and then maybe moving to a bubble format in a couple different locations, similarly to the NHL. But as of Friday this past week, Major League Baseball had conducted roughly 11,895 COVID tests in the past week. And in that, only 29 were positive. 20 by players and 9 by staffers. And that doesn't include the St. Louis Cardinals' latest positive tests. But that's still a very low positive percentage rate. And it certainly doesn't make it sound as bad as it's appeared so far. But the issue is that it seems to be spreading even faster now that the games are being played and the players are on the field with one another. And the MLB is trying to help combat this COVID outbreak by implementing a few new protocols. First, the MLB is mandating that players travel while wearing surgical masks instead of just a basic cloth face covering. Next, the MLB is also encouraging players not to leave their hotel rooms in road cities except to go to their games. And lastly, Major League Baseball is now requiring the team to travel with a compliance officer who will ensure that the players and staff members are properly following the league protocols. I guess every little bit helps, but we're going to have to see uh, what this does and if it can help slow this down at all. But we'll move on to the NCAA and uh, talk about some college athletics, mainly college football. And last week I talked about how the Atlantic Coastal Conference, the ACC, was considering adding Notre Dame to its conference for the upcoming 2020 season. Well, this past week, the ACC Board of Directors voted to proceed with the football season in an 11-game format that begins the weekend of September 12th. And this season includes Notre Dame in their conference and playing a full league schedule. So all of the ACC schools and Notre Dame will play 10 conference games plus one non-conference game of their choosing. 
And the ACC also announced that Notre Dame is going to be eligible to play in their conference championship game, and also that there will be no divisions within the conference for this season only. The ACC's non-conference games must take place in the home state of of the ACC school, and all non-conference opponents must have met the medical protocol requirements as agreed upon by the ACC during this pandemic. And the ACC's 11 games are going to take place over at least 13 weeks with two built-in bye weeks. And the ACC championship game is going to be played in Charlotte, North Carolina on either December 12th or December 19th. And it's going to feature the top two teams with the highest conference winning percentage. And that seems pretty simple and pretty realistic. And I can see that working. But I'm not totally sold on the idea of the optional non-conference games. I'd say that they either need to all play a non-conference game or all forego the non-conference game. I think there needs to be uniformity there. But the non-conference game doesn't affect the final conference standings, so I guess it really doesn't matter. And not to be outdone, the SEC also came to a verdict regarding their 2020 football season. And the SEC announced that it's going to be playing a 10-game conference-only schedule. And the SEC also announced that they're pushing the start date back of their season until September 26th. Now, in a normal season, September 26th would have been week four of the regular season. And the SEC is going to play their championship game two weeks later than normal on December 19th. So that two-week delay in the championship game creates flexibility amongst teams with two opportunities for makeup games uh, as the adjusted schedule is going to feature a mid-season bye week for each school plus an open date for all programs on December 12th, which is one week prior to the conference championship. Now, unlike the ACC, the SEC is still keeping their two divisions intact for this season. So the conference championship is going to feature the top school from each division, just like it does in a normal year. Now, the Pac-12 had already previously announced that they're going to be playing a 10-game conference-only schedule this fall. But this past week, the Pac-12 announced that they will have the same delayed start as the SEC of September 26th. But the big news out of the Pac-12 from this past weekend is the fact that a group of Pac-12 football players from multiple schools have threatened to opt out of both the preseason camps and the regular season games until its negotiations regarding safety protocols have been completed. And according to an ESPN report, the group's goal is to, quote, obtain a written contract with the Pac-12 that legally ensures we're offered the following protections and benefits. And the group wants several things, including safe games during the pandemic, long-term health insurance, and certain economic rights. Now, the Pac-12 released a statement saying that they have yet to officially hear from this group itself. But a Pac-12 staff member told ESPN that the movement is, quote, real, and it involves potentially hundreds of players. And this could potentially be disastrous for the Pac-12 if those reports are legitimate. Let's hope they can get it figured out and that this movement doesn't spread to the other Power 5 conferences. 
But the Big Ten had also previously announced that they're going to play a 10-game conference-only schedule this football season. Now, the Big 12 has not released any additional information regarding their season as far as a start date and a championship game date, uh, which I'm sure they'll probably be releasing that shortly. But the Big 12 announced on Monday that they have decided on a 10-game schedule format for their football season. And the schedule includes nine conference games so that each team's going to play every other team in the conference once. And then one non-conference game. And the Big 12 is still weighing the start date, but it's believed to be mid to late September. And I would assume that they would follow in the footsteps of the Pac-12 and the SEC and begin on September 26th. But an official announcement on that is still to come. But the Big 12 schedule also has built-in bye weeks to allow for flexibility in moving the championship game back to either December 12th or December 19th. And the Big 12 did not officially release their full schedule, but the Big 12 and the ACC are the only Power 5 conferences to keep one non-conference game on their schedule this year. And because the SEC, the Pac-12, and the Big 10 have all scrapped their non-conference games this year, that means that the previously scheduled marquee matchups of uh, West Virginia, Florida State, Baylor, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, LSU, Clemson, South Carolina, and Florida, Florida State, among others, have all been lost. And that's a big bummer right there because some of those games are just, would have been incredible to watch. But the important news out of the Big 12 during their schedule model announcement was the fact that Texas and Oklahoma are still planning on playing the annual Red River Showdown at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. And that's one of the very best college football games that takes place annually. It just wouldn't be the same if it wasn't at the Cotton Bowl. So I'm definitely glad to see that the plans are to keep that game in Dallas. But regarding all of these conferences, I think the built-in bye weeks and the open date at the end of the year are absolutely necessary, uh, as you never know what's going to happen with the virus during the course of the season. We see how fast the virus is spreading in the MLB, and baseball is a sport that's played with mild social distancing in effect. And football is a full-contact sport, and the players are in each other's kitchens all game. So you need to prepare for positive tests because they're going to happen. The schedule flexibility of built-in bye weeks gives all the schools the best chance to get an entire football season in. Um, but... We'll move on to our segment around the island. Um, definitely some noteworthy topics from around various sports. Um, we'll start off with the National Hockey League. And the NHL officially started their playoffs this past weekend, and man, was it a thing of beauty. And being the huge hockey fan that I am, it's so great to see playoff hockey back. I watched several games this past weekend. And it is very strange not seeing fans in the stands for the playoffs. But that hasn't changed the quality of the hockey. We saw some overtime action, saw some games decided by one goal, and we even saw a couple of good old-fashioned scraps. And with the two-hour time difference between Toronto and Edmonton, there has literally been hockey games on all day long. 
And that's a hockey fan's dream right there. Uh, and the quality of these games is only going to get better with each round that passes. The Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win in all of major pro sports. And the start of these unusual playoffs has not proved different. Uh, several lower seeds have won the first game of their respective series. And with these qualifying rounds being only five games max, uh, the wins are magnified. In my opinion, though, the coolest feature of the playoff startup so far is the fact that the NHL is using each team's home goal horn whenever they score, regardless of who the home team is. And that may not seem like much, but it gives the players a little slice of home when they score. And outside of Edmonton and Toronto, there really is no true home team in these games. And even at that, uh, the Oilers and the Leafs are not getting the same hometown treatment because of the bubble. And every team has a different and unique goal horn. So I'm sure the players are enjoying hearing their own horn uh, whenever they light the lamp. But most importantly out of the NHL, they still have yet to produce a positive COVID test since phase two of their return to play plan. The NHL announced on Monday that since all 24 teams have arrived in the hub cities, they have conducted 7,013 COVID tests with zero positive tests. And that's just incredible. You think about that and the fact that the NBA has also yet to see a positive test inside their bubble. And then you compare it against Major League Baseball, who has now seen an outbreak of positive tests in their sport. And it's just not a good look for the MLB. As I mentioned earlier, I think Major League Baseball really needs to consider going to a bubble format. But regarding hockey, I'm just so glad that it's back. And it's so unusual to see hockey being played in August. Uh, but I'm not complaining one bit. And now that all of the major pro sports, with the exception of the NFL, who's in their off season, are up and running, uh, it's truly a great time to be a sports fan. There are finally sports on television every night, and it is definitely a sight for all of our sore eyes because these past few months have been so difficult for sports fans in general, and now we're, we're really being rewarded in a big way. Uh, let's just hope that football can find its way onto the field this fall. And speaking of football, we'll move on to the National Football League. This past week, Los Angeles Chargers defensive end Joey Bosa agreed to a five-year contract extension with the team. And that five-year deal is worth $135 million, and that includes $102 million guaranteed. That is the richest defensive contract in NFL history. And Joey Bosa is just an absolute machine. He's only 25 years old. He's made two Pro Bowls. He won Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2016. He's got 40 sacks and six forced fumbles in his first four seasons. And he's just relentless on the field. Definitely a guy you want on your team. And he's going to be staying in Los Angeles for at least the next five years. But this past week, the National Football League players and coaches reported to their home facilities to begin training camp. And the initial start of training camp includes all of the COVID testing that needs to be done before the players actually put the pads on. And training camp's going to get off to a slower start this year with uh, team meetings and walkthroughs going on for the first couple of weeks before ramping it up and 
actually putting pads on in practice. And the idea is to start off slow to help limit the number of positive COVID cases. Um, So it seems like the NFL is definitely being diligent in making sure that the safety of the players is taking into consideration. And I'm just ready for football, both actual football and fantasy football to get going. And we're quickly approaching fantasy football draft season, so I'm certainly pumped about that. But the main news out of the National Football League this past week deals with players who have opted out of the 2020 season. And last week I talked about the players having the option to opt out of the season and making a minimum contract amount of either 150000 or 350000 depending on their risk status of contracting the coronavirus. Well, over this past week, there have been a plethora of players who have opted out of the upcoming season. Last week, I mentioned Laurent Duvernay-Tardif for the Kansas City Chiefs opting out to use his doctorate degree to help on the front lines of the pandemic in Canada. And I'm not going to name the whole list of players that opted out this week, but I will list some of the bigger names to opt out. And that is Chicago Bears defensive tackle Eddie Goldman, Buffalo Bills defensive tackle Star Latulale, Kansas City Chiefs running back Damian Williams, Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Marquise Goodwin, New York Giants offensive tackle Nate Solder, New York Jets linebacker C.J. Mosley, Green Bay Packers wide receiver Devin Funches, Seattle Seahawks offensive lineman Chance Warmack, and a slew of New England Patriots, including linebacker Dante Hightower, safety Patrick Chung, and wide receiver Marquise Lee. They all have different reasons for opting out, but I'm just wondering how much more that list is going to grow because uh, there are some big names on that list. But we'll skip back over to Major League Baseball for just a second. And this past week, Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Players Association agreed to stage seven-inning doubleheaders which started this past Saturday, August 1st. And with all the scheduling delays and postponements that have uh, arised out of the COVID outbreak thus far, the league needed to come up with a way to get all of their games in. And that doesn't even include all the games that are affected by inclement weather. So the solution that was agreed upon was to shorten the doubleheader games. And this just increases the likelihood that the MLB is able to complete their entire season. So in a joint statement, the MLB and the MLBPA said that the agreement helps promote player health and safety due to the likelihood of frequent doubleheaders because of the dynamic circumstances. But a weird story out of the MLB this past week deals with New York Mets outfielder Yoannis Cespedes. Cespedes apparently went missing from the team on Sunday. He didn't show up to their game on Sunday, so the team sent security to his hotel room. And security found the room empty. Cespedes had taken all of his belongings out and just up and left. And his agent informed the team mid-game on Sunday 
that Cespedes was opting out of the rest of the 2020 season. And that's just weird. Why wouldn't you at least let your team know that you're opting out? Like, I have no issues with your decision to opt out, but why be a no-show? The team reports that Cespedes is healthy and that he just opted out as if it was a casual decision. And this whole thing, like I said, is just really weird. I don't even really know what to say. In the age of social media and everything being done on a phone, why not just send a text to your team to let them know that you're opting out instead of going AWOL? It seems like something else more is going on here, but at the very least, we're not going to see Yoenis Cespedes until next year. But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association. And this past week, the NBA's regular season officially resumed. And just like the NHL, the quality of the basketball has not disappointed. We've seen some games come down to the wire. And that overtime game between the Houston Rockets and the Dallas Mavericks, uh, I believe it was Friday, man, that thing was off the charts. There was scoring galore. And that truly felt like a playoff game. It's hard to remember that each NBA team is playing eight regular season games before they start their playoffs uh, because it it has a playoff feel already. Uh, But I'm sure the playoffs are going to be just as good as advertised here with the NBA. And just like every other sport, of course, fans have not been in attendance inside the NBA bubble. So similarly to Major League Baseball with the cutout cardboard fans, The NBA has a scoreboard-type screen that wraps around the court. And this screen actually has images and videos of fans for the, quote, home team. So it's a little different from baseball in the fact that the fans can move since they're on a screen. But the NBA is trying to make it feel authentic for the players, just like Major League Baseball is for their players. And it's kind of cool to be a part of such a unique time in the sports world. And I mentioned a bit ago that the NBA has not had a positive COVID test inside the bubble thus far. And I, like most people, was very skeptical of their bubble. They were the first to release the details on their bubble. But man, the NBA has hit a home run with this. Uh, The NHL's dual bubble you know, the two hub cities, that format seems to be working just as well. Uh, But the way that the NBA structured everything, it just makes it to where them finishing their season is just about a guarantee at this point. Uh, The NBA deserves a big, big kudos for the way that they've handled uh, their bubble situation thus far. But that's going to wrap up the seventh episode of Sports Island. And as always, I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Please share it with anyone you know who may be interested. You can always rate, review, and subscribe to it. This podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. It's also available on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. Go ahead and give it a like, give it a share. And if there's anything you need me to talk about on here that you want me to maybe dive in a little deeper... Just go ahead and comment on there. Or send me a message on there and we'll uh, we'll get that put on here for you. But I uh, hope you all have a good week. Stay safe 
Be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.